0: If you have your Bibles with you, you can open with me to Luke chapter ten, starting in verse thirty eight. Uh, what a privilege we have to uh, work through the Gospel of Luke to study in detail our Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his actions, his love, His patience, His wisdom. What a privilege we have to be able to go through this gospel together. And this morning we looked to a story that you might be familiar with. The story of Mary and Martha. And uh, let's uh, pick up that, that, this account in verse uh, 38 of Luke chapter 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, "'Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me.' But the Lord answered her, "'Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion,' which will not be taken away from her. This text comes to us right after uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we have good reason to believe that Luke actually, uh, as he sometimes does, uh, gets out of order with the chronology Of Jesus' life. For the most part, it's in chronological order, uh, uh, but different than Matthew and Mark, sometimes uh, he'll move his story around. And in this case, uh, we know that this story takes place in Bethany. We know that from uh, John uh, chapter 11, where John gives us an account of of this. So the question we should ask is, why did Luke put it here? Because Bethany's right next to Jerusalem. Well, they're, they're not that close yet. Jesus is heading to the cross, but right here he puts this story right after the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember in that parable, the... Greatest commandment was revealed that you're supposed to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the priest and the Levite, the religious Jews, did not do that. But a Samaritan man actually loved his neighbor. The priest and the Levite, on their way to doing something good, didn't do the best thing and proved to be on loving and actually not loving being a love, not loving their neighbor, nor being loving of God as they pass by the man who is beaten on the side of the road. They were distracted as they were on their way towards Jerusalem to do religious things, good things. The title of this message is Distracted from Glory. Distracted from that which is truly glorious. One of my favorite texts in the Old Testament that talks about this, that illustrates this, comes from the prophet Jeremiah. In chapter 2, verse 12, here's what he says. He says, be appalled Oh heavens, at this be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. God speaking through Jeremiah, and He says, Heavens, the stars, the universe, be appalled. In fact, be utterly shocked at this fact. for my people have committed two evils. He he commands creation, be utterly shocked at these two evils my people have committed. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first evil. And they've hewned out for themselves cisterns, for themselves broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Be shocked that my people have come to the fountain of living water. You can't get better water. It's living water. It's refreshing water. You drink it, your soul is satisfied. But my people, they've come over here and they've tasted the water of this fountain and they've said, no, Uh uh-uh. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to hewn out a broken cistern that when I put water in it, all the water goes away and it's full of dust. And although the fountain of living water's over there, I'm going to lap at the dust. And God says, be appalled at that. Nothing could offend God more than what Israel was doing. Leaving the fountain of living water for broken cisterns. They were distracted away from glory. In fact, sin, this is, this is the nature of sin. If you're going to boil sin down uh, to one main thing that the human heart does, it's described in Romans one twenty Here's how he describes it. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Glory of the immortal God. They exchanged that for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, it's the most... Worst thing God could ever do to you, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Sin is this. You look at the glory of God and you look at creation, And you say, I'm going to exchange this for this. And God's judgment is, He lets you go after the lust of your hearts with this. You see, if God convicts you, and there's this nagging in your soul saying, this doesn't satisfy, I don't want to do this anymore, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God in your life. Because there's the point where the heart gets so hard that according to God's will, when He wants to let go of the leash and let you just have what the lusts of your hearts want so that you'll never ever again turn back to look at glory, it's the most terrifying thing we can ever imagine. We're warned all throughout the book of Hebrews to keep looking at the glory of God in our salvation, lest our hearts slowly be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and we slowly fade away from the living God. I wonder if you see glory. Second Corinthians four six says this, speaking of those who have a veil over their eyes. They've heard about Jesus. Maybe they've heard about Jesus a hundred times. Maybe this is you. But there's a veil. Here, here, here's how those people are described by Paul. He says, in their case, the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. If I asked you who Jesus is and what has He done, you might know enough to say Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for sinners that if they trust in Him, they will believe. A non-believer can know that and recite that. But a non-believer can't see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. They can know it and say, boring. And Paul says the reason why the majority of people do that with Christ is because Satan has blinded the minds of innocent people, right? No, that's not what it says. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. You see, you can't blame Satan for your unbelief. You're already an unbeliever of your own heart. And Satan comes along, and as the gospel's being preached, he snatches the word away. He might put circumstances in your life to help distract you, to keep you from looking. But Paul says it's not that way for everyone. Because he says when we preach, here's verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim, it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. We preach Jesus, and then for some people this happens. For God said, Let light the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's writing to believers, and he says, Yeah, the majority of the people see Jesus as boring, here's what's happening. But for you, believer, the same God that said let light shine out of darkness has shone in your heart. All of the sudden, you're like, I can't believe I thought I was going to be satisfied here. This is where I'm satisfied. The fountain of living water. Look how glorious he is. So the believer sits here and looks at the unbelieving world and says, how how can't they treasure Christ? How can they keep going back to the same thing which will never satisfy? We just can't hardly imagine it. And the believer looks at Christians and says, how can they waste their life giving up every Sunday morning and going on Wednesday nights or whatever for this book that's written 2,000 years ago for this guy that, you know, so you have some people who see it, some who don't, believers, non-believers, but then as Christians, we can be distracted. We can forget. So as we come to this text, I want to encourage you in the flavor of romans twelve three, where paul says i say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment i want you to come to this text assuming you're martha and not mary because we can kind of read our bible like that <laughs> we can come to the parable of the good soils and say oh, i know i'm not the first three but that's that person, that person, or that person. Oh yeah, so-and-so is such a Martha. You know, I'm not a Martha. That's a dangerous way to read your Bible. Assume that you're not the good guy. Because in certain ways in your heart, I'm sure you will be able to relate to Martha in this story. The charge of this sermon is... Get your priorities straight. Choose the good portion. You know, as someone usually says that. Get your priorities straight. Go take the trash out. You know, it's it's a parent saying this, you know, do your homework. You want to, you know, that's how we usually think of that statement. But the Bible, when when we get this idea from the Scripture, Get your priorities straight. Go eat the good meal. Why are you eating chicken nuggets when you got a steak over here? Get your priorities straight. Eat the good portion. That's the drive of what I think this text is getting at. And I want to ask three questions. First question is this. What good things drag me away from Jesus? Look at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. That village is is, uh, Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now this is interesting because Jesus is breaking social norms. For Jesus to take the invitation of Martha and to enter into his house... And then to have Mary sit down at his feet and learn, only men were allowed to be disciples. Only men were allowed to sit at the feet of rabbis and learn. And yet Martha welcomes him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving distracted that word literally means in the greek uh, to be dragged away to be dragged away hey jesus come into my house i would love to have you stay for a meal tonight i love for you to come jesus yeah sure i'd love to come to your house He gets inside the house and Martha gets drug away from Christ. She gets drug away from her creator, the glorious one. But Martha was drug away with much serving. Now this creates questions in our mind. Why? Why? Why is what Mary's doing better than what Martha's doing? Did Jesus not say that if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you need to become the least and become the greatest servant? Isn't this what we're supposed to do? Serve Christ? Serve people? It's a good question, especially since Romans... 12, 13 says, commands us, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we get a hint that maybe (laughs) here's the problem. 1 Timothy 3.2, one of the qualifications of elders is that they show hospitality. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Titus 1.7, it's repeated again, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, so what's wrong with serving, even speaking to women specifically, first Timothy five nine let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than sixty years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a good reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality. Let, her, let the church help take care of her needs if she's been a woman who's been godly, a woman who's shown hospitality. So what's wrong with being drug away with much serving? Especially when you're serving Christ. Especially when you're preparing a meal for the Lord. I think we can get to the root of it a little bit in Acts 17 verse 24 where Paul as he's revealing who the true God is he says the God who made the world and everything in it being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath and everything. We're to serve God, but we're never to serve God as though He needs us to serve Him. As though He needed anything. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't get hungry. He's not lonely. He's not lacking power. So there's a way where we can think about service wrongly. Psalm 50 verse 8 says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me, so they're doing the things they're supposed to do religiously. But he says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast in the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine." Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So how does a person glorify God? According to this text. When a person in the day of trouble says, you have to feed me, you have to take care of me, I call upon you, God does that, and He's glorified. You see that? You see how we can think wrongly in doing maybe good things and serving in a good way? Well, my question for you is, what good things drag you away from Jesus? What good things drag you away from sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching? Now, I don't know if he taught for an hour or two hours, but I can guarantee you, you can get more of Jesus' teaching than Mary could. You can sit at the feet of Jesus by opening your Bible because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. What good things, now there's bad things that draw us away from Jesus' feet. But in this text, she's getting a meal ready for Jesus. She's doing something good for Jesus. What things that seem so necessary drag you away so that you get to the end of your day and you say, Another day, not feasting on Christ Himself. Second, what's the motivation of my heart in those things? Because (laughs) as a biblical counselor, someone who's really uh, tried to think long and hard about how the human life works, my first question actually bothers me. What good things drag me away from Jesus? Jesus. Now, can anything outside of me really drag me away from Jesus? You know, it's really my heart attaching itself to idols that drag me away from Jesus. So the second question is asking you a heart question. What is the motivation of my heart in those things that drag me away from Jesus? We get to see Mary's heart on display. So while she's doing much serving, after a while, she went up and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Do you feel the, it's like, oh man, (laughs) there's some bitterness in this heart. There's some anger in this heart. The hardest part about prioritizing our lives is that good things are often the enemy of the best thing. And Mary's doing a good thing with the wrong heart, which means it's not a good thing, and it's proven by what comes out of her mouth. You see, your mouth always exposes your heart. We can put much emphasis on good things done rather than the heart that is doing those things. Can't we? Can't we get to the end of our day and say, look what I got done today. Got the house clean, got everything at work done, got this done, got that done, and not even think about the heart that was doing all the things. This is how the Lord described Israel. This people draws near to me with their their mouth and with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Good things, now get this, good things done with a wrongly prioritized heart can result in some of the most regrettable things we say and do. I'll say that again. Good things done with a wrongly prioritized heart can result in some of the most regrettable things we say and do. And we see this on display with Martha Here Martha basically says out loud, Jesus, can you make all things about me? Come on. Recognize me. Have my sister serve me. I'm the boss. I'll tell you what to do, Lord. You do this. I want to give you 11 clues that's going to help you see If you struggle with this same thing, and if you don't see these things, then I'll pray for you that the Lord gives you sight because I'm telling you, Martha's in you. Martha's in my heart. Eleven clues that you're serving may be self-serving rather than serving for God's glory because Jesus doesn't have a problem, I don't think, with the thing. It's with the heart. So, here's the first thing. And I think I can get almost all of this out of this one text. When she opens her mouth, you learn a lot. Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Two sentences. I'm arguing I think you can get 11 things out of here. All right. One. One your serving may be self-serving or whatever good thing, I don't care what it is, sours if while you're doing it, it causes you to be accusative towards someone else. Lord, do you not care? Do Do you not care? She's speaking to the one who cares better than anyone who's ever lived. Regrettable words coming from an accusing heart. If you're serving or you're doing something and you're thinking about how they're not doing this or not noticing, that's the time where we need to recalibrate our mind are thinking uh, this is the same thing the disciples when, when they're in the boat and the, Jesus is sleeping <laughs> they all think they're going to die they, can't, they come up to Jesus and they say the same thing they say teacher do you not care that we are perishing do you not care what's wrong with you similar similar thing if you're serving brings about self-pity. It's more than likely she was thinking something along the lines of, "I invited him in, and now he's paying attention to my sister, and I'm stuck over here doing all of this." And yet we find out from Jesus' words in a, in a moment that all of this wasn't actually all necessary. Now, it might have been necessary if Martha was going to impress Jesus, if she was going to serve God in a way that God needed to be served. So if you sense self-pity, what about comparison? She's obviously making a comparison to what she's doing and what her sister's not doing. I see this in my heart all the time. Man, I gotta do this again. I look over here. I look over there. I don't see them doing it. You know, I can, I can throw a pity party really fast in my serving. Comparing yourselves to others, it's self-righteousness. It's not a gospel mindset. <laughs> the compare game for the person that has a brain that's thinking straight is not a fun game to play. As the light of God's word exposes our ugly heart, why would we ever want to try to compare our ugly heart? You know, we just let's just be thankful that there's mercy there. Um, this is often the problem for the disciples as well. Mark 9:33 says, when they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? They kept silent, for on the way they argued with one another about who. Was the greatest. Who's the best? Peter just confessed Christ. I'm guessing Peter was winning the argument. I'm the first one. The Lord said it on this rock. I'll build my church. Luke 9 speaks of that. Luke 22 speaks of that. Same thing. Dispute arose among them to which of them was to be regarded the greatest. If you want to compare, compare how Paul compared. He says this is, a trustworthy, uh, this is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So if you want to compare yourself to somebody, you better put yourself as the foremost of sinners because I guarantee you, you don't know a sinner greater than you. You can know things about other people but you know your sin better than anyone else's sin. So the compare game, when we're thinking clearly, is crazy to play. If your serving has a sense of entitlement, a demanding spirit to it. Because I'm serving, this is what I deserve. If there's anger in it, I'm doing this, but really, they're talking over there. Finally, I'm just going to go interrupt them. And i got to stop this. This is driving me so crazy that they're not even recognizing me. There's a lack of joy in serving. It's kind of the opposite side of that coin. Christian serving for the glory of God is to bring joy to the servant. Serving rises above... Uh, when you're serving rises above greater priorities. A lot of times you can be doing something good and maybe even not with a real negative attitude, but you're missing the obvious priorities. You know, the priest or the Levite on the way to serve in Jerusalem going by the Samaritan. They might not have been sitting there with evil hearts, but yet they did kind of prove to be unloving as they saw him and went to the other side. You know, you think about showing hospitality. Do you have to have everything just so to be impressive? Are you taking advantage that a, a human being made in the image of God is there? And you have an opportunity to draw out their heart and their life. And their? You know, there's two ways to do it. You can do it to say, boy, they're good at that. Or you can serve in such a way that prioritizes rightly uh, those around you. And and I didn't mean for this to sound like this is just to women because this isn't a women text, this is a discipleship text. Because when it says Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, that's how you describe discipleship in those days. Paul said, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. If you're serving is seeking appreciation or compliment or desires to impress other people, if the reason why you serve is so other people say, oh, that's so good, that's so nice, that's wonderful, now it's probably self-focused and not God-glorifying. Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't feel like I'm appreciated? Maybe you've said that. Uh, Do you want to control the serving and boss others around? Maybe you're serving, but you want to control how it's all done. Guilt. I think a lot of people serve out of guilt. Serving to feel good about yourself and kind of cover over guilty feelings for sin. It's kind of like a religion rather than serving out of the grace of God. It's like, I don't know if I'm good enough, so I could, here's one thing I can do. And if I do this, maybe God will be happy for me. And finally, when your serving forgets Christ, you can know that it's self-serving. Because everything we do, we do what? To the glory of God. Paul says, so whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. So her serving uh, wasn't as necessary as her need to learn from Jesus. That's what we find out because in verse 41 it says, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. That's the problem. The problem is not that she was making preparations. It was how important those preparations were and what it caused her heart to do. She's troubled and anxious about many things. He says, but one thing is necessary. Now, I I can hear the objections. What do you mean? Don't people have to eat? Don't people have to sleep? Don't people... Well, evidently, they weren't starving to death. Evidently, uh, you didn't have to do everything that was being done, and especially not done with that with a heart that's troubled and, uh, about it. Um, and, and so he says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Martha's service got in the way of her sitting lovingly at Jesus' feet. Martha was too easily distracted by less important things. Just think of the missed opportunity. So here's what I'm saying. When when we're not seeing clearly, when we don't see glory rightly, we miss opportunities that we can grow with God. We miss opportunities to love other people, to love God, but if your service or your responsibilities in a day Make it so you don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Your priorities are crazy, appalling, right? Be utterly shocked that we thought this was more important than this. Remember back in Luke 8.14 when he did the parable of the soils, he talked about, the seed that falls among the thorns. Here's what it says. As for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, the anxieties, the cares, and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So he talks about those that are so troubled inside, the seed never grows. The word gets choked out and at least in this circumstance that's what we see Deuteronomy 8.3 says this and he, humble, or, and he humbled you speaking to Israel and their hunger in the wilderness and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know here's the purpose that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's how we live. That's the priority of our lives. John MacArthur says, what feeds the soul is more important than what feeds the body. Mary may have been hungry, May have uh, desired maybe to cook a meal for Jesus, but she saw the opportunity for her to feast uh, during this opportunity when Jesus is in her house. Too great. I maybe she even thought I might make Martha mad. She's probably going to get mad, but I'm going to sit here. I'll let her get mad. I'm I'm not missing this opportunity. And Jesus says it won't be taken away from her. She's chosen the good portion. Her priority was right. And that food will last. It'll go on. So when I say get your priorities straight, I'm saying eat from the food that makes it so your hunger can stop. Everyone in the world's trying, they're busy, they're trying to do the next thing to satisfy their soul. I mean, you know, this this is, it just makes me sad when I do this. It makes me sad when I see other people do this. But it's kind of like, you know, this is, uh, I got five minutes here. Put it in my pocket. I don't know. I could do something here. It's a restless soul. What's the next thing? What's the next thing my eyes need to see? What's the next thing that's going to satisfy me? And we forget there's a fountain that can quench your thirst. Jesus said, you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. You don't have to chase after all of that. Mary picked the good portion. So let's get practical. Last question. How can I sit at the feet of Jesus and learn? This is not exhaustive, uh, but I'll give you some practical ideas. First, you must taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't look. I say this to my children all the time. Ooh, I don't like that. It's like you haven't tried that. I don't like that. I know I won't like it. Well, you can't tell me that until you taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't care how you feel. I don't feel like going to my Bible. Well, go start taking some bites. Take some bites of God. This is Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, oh you saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer lack, the strong lions. They get hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing oh come children listen to me and i will teach you mary come here i'll teach you you're troubled you're uh, you're going back and forth and you're and jesus in his love and kindness says martha martha you're troubled it's a it's an endearing way jesus talks to martha Thank goodness God's patient with us. God's kind with us. He tenderly (laughs) will not be controlled by her. No, she's doing the right thing and she's going to stay here. But I love you. Martha, Martha, you're troubled. You can come to me and find rest. We don't have time for it. John 6.25, remember Jesus feeds the 5,000. The next day they show up because they want breakfast, they want a meal, and Jesus says, uh, you just came because you want food. But and, and they said, well, if you want us to believe in you, what are you going to do? Our fathers gave us manna from heaven. And he said, no, your fathers didn't give you manna from heaven. God gave you manna manna from heaven but your fathers ate that bread and they were hungry again but my father has sent me the bread of life down you eat of me and you won't hunger anymore if you want to know what it is to do the works of God if you want to do something here's the work of God believe in him believe he's the one that satisfies your soul So taste and see that He is good. You might say, I can't do that. And I would say, well, one option would be maybe you've never been born again. Maybe God's never given you eyes to see Him in a glorious way. And I would just say, ask Him right now. Lord, give me those eyes. I believe you're my only hope. The gospel, the good news is is that Jesus came down lived a perfect life, you could never live, he never sinned. And when he died on the cross, he died for sinners in the sense that when he was on the cross, God put those who would believe in him, their sins, on Jesus, on the cross, God punished him, he died your death so you wouldn't have to go to hell. And in your account, God put Jesus' perfect life. Ask God, open my eyes to the wonderful news of this gospel. Help me see and understand the glory of this. Help me cling to it. But as Christians, sometimes we have a hard time tasting and seeing that God is good. Pray. David did. Create me a clean heart, O God. Do it. Don't sit there and say, oh, I wish I had a good heart. My friends have good hearts. They love God. They, I, My heart never tastes. I don't have taste buds. Ask for them. Plead for them. That God would give you taste. Read your Bible. When you read your Bible, when you read the words of Scripture, God speaks. Sit at Jesus' feet. Listen to his teaching if you want to sit at the feet of Jesus you have to read your Bible you have to talk about the Bible with Christians you have to uh, listen to sermons about the scripture God speaks to us and teaches us we know him through his word Um, man I have to skip over a lot of verses here that uh, speak of God's Word being sweeter than honey, better than gold. Five, you need to see opportunities. You can't see opportunities when you're walking around with this. This wastes your time so often. You don't see people, your own children in your own house. For every parent here should feel a time clock there's only a certain numbers of days that god's child that he's given you the privilege to raise will be in your household the clock is ticking and god has given you responsibility and his word has taught us what to do and they can be all around us and you can be doing this and you could say well, I'm reading a blog about Jesus and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But is it the best? Is this where you're to love your neighbor but you can't love your neighbor because you can't see your neighbor because you're looking at something else? I'm preaching to myself. Worship. If you want your taste buds to... If you ever notice you come to church sometimes... You have no plan of your heart being lifted up. You kind of have bad attitude. And you don't even know how it happens, but by the last song, there's something about your taste buds where you're desiring God more than you did before. I don't know how that all happens, but worship Him with God's people. Speak truth to your heart. You have to speak to yourself. Pray to God, change my heart. Then say things like this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why is there turmoil within me? Hope in God. Do you talk to yourself like that? Why am I downcast? Here's the fountain of living water. Why am I doing this? Go over here. Hope in God. Don't hope in this. you got to talk to yourself. God's Word. No one talks to you more than you talk to you. The last thing, invite exhortation into your life. Invite real relationships where people can really get in to your life, where it might expose things that aren't right. You know, the scariest thing I heard yesterday, and here's what we'll close on, is one of the biblical counseling teachers said, People will do anything rather than repent. Anything. They'll go start running to get their endorphins going to cover the guilt they feel. They will start serving in this or that. They'll do this or that. Man never wants to repent in your flesh. You never just want to call it what it is. And the reason why we don't want to is because we love sin. To repent means you have to let go of the sin that if we're honest... We like the broken cistern more than the fountain of living water sometimes. And yet the Scripture reminds us, here's the good portion. Sit at the feet of Christ. Prioritize your life. Your, priori- your life will be prioritized better if you hang out with people that are encouraging you. They're both. You're all seeking God together our priorities stay better. My prayer is, is that you would admit your Martha like life, repent of it, and try one of these eight things that I've, uh, put before you to help you sit down and trust Christ. Father, thank you for these practical everyday stories that might as well be our story you know we trust you we invite you into our life and then often run off and do something else as though there's something greater in your creation and you're the one who spoke it lord we can be so foolish yet we don't need to have despair For we know that Christ came for sinners, and that's what Martha was, and that's what we are. Father, we thank you that the only qualification of being saved is admitting that we're not good, that we need mercy from you. And so we ask that you change our taste buds, that we would desire that which is truly satisfying,